how can we reduce the carbon emissions in the built environment? Um, and so we got interested in both embodied carbon and reducing operating carbon. And, uh, and that led uh, me to a conclusion about seven or eight years ago that we really need to do the focus on existing buildings um, because the existing buildings are kind of this <laughs> intersection of where embodied carbon can be avoided and where operational savings are possible. And so we started thinking about that. Welcome to the Wonder Podcast. This is your host, CCB, and today we have another episode with one of our 2020 Wonder Grant Award winners. We've described what the Wonder Grant is in previous episodes, but I will just point out that it is a research grant that is awarded to architects and designers within the California, Northern California and Washington State area to conduct uh, unique independent research uh, about topics of interest relative to the built environment and the human experience within it. So today's guests are Larry Strain and Lori Ferris. The award was given to Siegel and Strain, but his team is comprised of a group of individuals that are representing different organizations. So I'm going to let Larry and Lori Ferris, who are joining us today, introduce themselves. And I'm going to start with Larry. All right. Thank you. Um, yeah. So I'm Larry Strain of Siegel and Strain Architects. Uh, and our firm has been sort of practicing sustainable design for as long as we've been around, about 30 years. Um, and in the last 10 years or so, we've really focused in on sort of carbon emissions in the built environment. So that's what our focus became, how can we reduce the carbon emissions in the built environment? Um, and so we got interested in both embodied carbon and reducing operating carbon. And, uh, and that led uh, me to a conclusion about seven or eight years ago that we really need to do the focus on existing buildings um, because existing buildings are kind of this <laughs> intersection of where embodied carbon can be avoided and where operational savings are possible. And so we started thinking about that. Um, I'm getting off topic on who I am, but. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. We'll, we'll, yeah. Yeah, we'll roll back into asking lots of questions. Please uh, be guaranteed okay. about that. Um, okay. Lori, how about um, you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Lori Ferris, the Director of Sustainability and Climate Action with Goody Clancy, an architecture preservation and planning firm in Boston. Our work also focuses a lot on sustainable and transformative building reuse. And um, personally, that's always been where my passion lies. I have a background in structural engineering and in conservation. So I have a very sort of technical um, building materials, hands-on type of background, but I've always been interested in the relationship between our built heritage and our, our natural environment. So um, when I first got involved in life cycle assessment, also about 10 years ago, I was really you know, convinced that this story of total carbon and thinking about you know, not just the carbon we use through operating our buildings, but the embodied carbon as well was going to kind of transform the way the building industry thinks about sustainability. Um, that didn't really happen as quickly as I expected. So that's when I became really involved in the, the same type of advocacy that Larry's so deeply involved with and um, was lucky enough to be able to contribute to this tool, which I think is really important in helping, you know, convey these principles to policymakers and practitioners and the public. 
the, the tool, which we're going to talk about, um, is, is an ongoing, uh, iterative, evolving tool relative to uh, building or not building. And so I'd love you to, Larry, why don't you start describing the proposal that you presented to the Wonder Grant? So the idea was, um, intuitively, it seems to make sense that if you can save an existing building and renovate it and maybe make it more efficient, it's going to use less carbon than building a brand new building. It takes a lot of carbon emissions to build a building. Um, and, and that's sort of been an accepted um, axiom of, of the green building movement. But there's been no way to quantify how that works in a real, in a real situation. Uh, you know, how, what kind of remodel, what kind of new building, what's the existing building you're replacing, all those variables have to be considered. So we tried to come up with a tool that could sort of quantify the carbon impacts of an existing building, just leaving it alone and continues to operate with its current efficiency, uh, a remodel of that existing building and making it more efficient, and then a brand new building that's even maybe more efficient than that. And what, what's the carbon, the total carbon impacts of both embodied uh, and operational and avoided carbon in those three scenarios? So it was really trying to give developers and planners and even designers tools to sort of make quick early on decisions. Should we replace this building or should we keep it um, and, and make it better? And what's the, what's the carbon impact of any of those decisions? So a question that comes to mind immediately is how did you build the consortium of Siegel and Strain, Goody Clancy, oh. and, and well, there was a third member yeah, um, of your team. Third person who's not here, which is Aaron McDade, of, is the senior pro program director at Architecture 2030, who's been working on reducing carbon emissions in the built environment since 2007. Um, and they've done incredible work. And, and uh, I started presenting with, with Aaron about seven or eight years ago at various conferences around embodied carbon mostly. Um, and that embodied carbon had to be part of this, the way we're looking at buildings. It's not just operational carbon. Um, and so I developed this really rough Excel tool that I did. I don't know how to use Excel. I don't know how to do any of this, but I had an idea and I developed it and showed it to Erin at a conference in 2019. And she said, this looks great, but I actually know how to do Excel. Let me take a pass at it. And she developed a much more sophisticated tool that pulled in all kinds of data that I didn't know how to access, which is you know, operational data from different states and grid efficiencies from different states. And so we could build all these real things into the tool to make it more real. And, uh, and, then, at, and then at the same time, I'll just, then I'll turn it over to Lori. I got, I, I started hearing about um, preservation and historic architects that were really committed to addressing climate change. And there was this group called ZNCC, which is the Zero Net Carbon Collaborative that Lori was part of. And I'll let Lori talk about that because the existing building piece is such a huge piece of the tool. Yeah, hey, so, great. Yep. Yeah, so I'm, I'm one of the founding co-chairs of the ZNCC, the Zero Net Carbon Collaboration for Existing and Historic Buildings. And we were, as Laurie says, we were founded really for this focus to, to kind of, you know, champion this intersection between preservation and heritage and sustainability and architecture and construction um, and really bring all of those groups together. And so we also were looking for this tool, this method to quantify and make a you know, a tangible statement about the benefits, the carbon and climate benefits of building reuse. So um, Larry became involved in the ZNCC very early on as an Architecture 2030 was one of our founding organizations. 
Um, so that was kind of, it all kind of came together around this group of people that had that expertise in design in sustainability and the, you know, the metrics of sustainability and in existing buildings. So it was really kind of the right place to, um, to foster this, this kind of development. Tell us, like, like actually, when did it start? Because it, I know that there is a level of evolutionary movement that continues on today. Yeah, there really is. Um, the actual impetus for the tool itself, even though the idea had been in the back of all of our minds, I think, for a while, was an ex-employee of our firm, Siegel & Strain, <clears throat> worked for the office of the president of uh, UC, the UC system, UC University system in California. And he called me up one day and said, hey, we're looking for a way to quantify, you know, carbon impacts of our, our buildings. And can you just point me to the right tool? And, and you know, total carbon, operational, avoided, everything. I said, well, actually, there isn't a tool like that. We're all, we all want that tool. And he said, really? And, and I thought about it and I thought, well, maybe we could come up with some simple way of talking about operational and embodied carbon for different scenarios. And I made this very simplistic version of an Excel spreadsheet that did that. And, um, and showed it to him and, and ended up presenting to the UC system. But I didn't really know what I was doing in terms of making a tool. I just had the idea of what we needed to quantify. And so that's when Aaron, then Aaron got involved at the end of 2019 um, and, and made it a more re real tool. And at the same time, we were talking to ZNCC about the idea of this tool. And actually, the ZNCC have always been kind of the strongest advocate of this tool. Uh, there's carbon 2030, Architecture 2030 or the Carbon Leadership Forum have been interested in it, but it's, it's not really their main focus. And existing buildings are the main focus of, Z, of ZNCC. So they were really the champions and of saying, this, this is a great tool, let's go for it. So I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Lori, but that was how I saw it start. Yeah, no, I think that's it. And that's so that's when I joined <laughs> to yeah. bring that that preservation of existing building voice um, as part of the Wonder Grant development. And I think, you know, the tools really come a, a tremendous way since then. I think it became um, it, it started off as this quantification tool and also a bit of a storytelling tool. And I think both of those are important characteristics of how it's evolved. It's evolved both technically, um, as Larry mentioned, becoming more sophisticated with the data and tapping in to make it more um, compatible with other metrics that exist, um, but also the storytelling is advancing. And I think that's really important because the tool is, it's just that it's a tool. It's not a policy. It's not an advocacy platform. It's just a tool to make the case or, you know, it's not a, it's not a design in itself. So I think continuing to advance it so that it can better serve those different purposes has been uh, one of the key focuses. So when you talk about the tool um, and creating it with the passion of all of your interests, there had to be the audience, uh, the, I'm going to say the levels of, of audience that you were intending to tell the story and have used the tool. So could you talk a little bit about that, the audiences that you were most interested in? Yeah, I mean, in, in some ways, the, the audience that was the most vocal was the historic and existing building architecture group of people. And, and they were really, they wanted this tool. And I think a lot of people early on wanted it kind of as a, as a design tool, an early design tool to make early design decisions. And we, we went down that road for a while and we're still interested in that, but we're, we became, became clear that what was missing from all of the carbon calculation tools that are out there now is that they're all detailed and they're all based on a real design of a real building. We wanted something that was before you, 
made the design when you were trying to figure out, are we going to build a building in the first place? So it was a, it became a, a high level estimating tool. So we wanted good enough numbers to make good decisions, but they didn't have to be perfect because you're not going to get a perfect or a real number until you actually have a real design to base it on. So the way that the tool developed is we sort of said, okay, we have data on existing building operations, and that's these CBEX and REX databases that the federal government publishes, operational efficiency and like that. So we could use the existing buildings. And then for new buildings, we sort of said, well, you can't just say a replacement building is this much carbon. It depends on what kind of building it is. So we developed four kind of basic building types from a small single family wood frame house to a, maybe a mixed use, a mixed uh, concrete and wood building that's maybe a residential three-story building to then a mid-rise building all the way to high-rise super carbon intensive buildings. And so these are the four basic building types you could replace your building with. And then the next thing was it took a lot of evolution, but we realized that for the retrofit, we needed a menu of retrofit options because you, you, retrofitting a building and renovating a building there's all kinds of decisions to make. And so we wanted the user to say, well, our building is going to need this, this, and this. We know that because you know, we, we know what the existing building is. And they could just choose the menu. And each one of those menu items had an embodied carbon footprint to it. So it was a way to compare sort of a, a rough but real estimate of a remodel versus a new building versus leaving the building alone and getting the carbon input outputs for all of those scenarios. Um, and, and it's hard because most of the embodied carbon studies have been on new construction. They haven't been on existing buildings. So the existing building data, we're trying to collect it. We're trying to vet it. To develop the existing building menu retrofits, we sort of have to look at the whole building and break it out by pieces. Well, the envelope is typically 20%. So that's what the envelope is going to be. So there's ways to get at that data, but it's not from detailed studies because they don't exist yet. So I'm going to toss it over to Lori and say that by virtue of introducing the data uh, tool as, and the storytelling, you're, you're implying that there is an audience that needs to hear the story more, probably more broadly. So I'd love to, because your Larry's uh, description starts to talk about building owners clearly, but, uh, and architects and designers and who else needs to hear the story. And there's, there's that piece that I have in my head. And then I'm also going to say there's the policy piece that needs to be addressed. So Lori, would you talk more about that storytelling? Um, yeah, I think the question of audience is really critical and has been really challenging for us because in order to develop the tool really well, it needs to, you, you have to know who's going to be using it. And so many people want to use it. <laughs> so many different types of people. There's such a demand. Um, I think, yeah, I think the preservation community, as Larry said, is one of the biggest um, advocates and um, most vocal uh, groups requesting this tool. And that's because there's this real sort of vacuum uh, when thinking about climate policy for existing buildings and, and heritage. And so I think we're trying to, the, the preservation existing building community is trying to kind of get a seat at the climate table, but it's really hard when the climate, you know, we're in this era of data and it's all about data and numbers and measuring positive impact. And heritage is a lot about history and identity and materials and authenticity. And it's not, they kind of don't historically haven't aligned as well. So I think that group is really searching for that quantifiable way to um, 
you know, to, con to convince people what we all know intuitively, which is that reusing what you already have makes less of a footprint on the environment than making something new. Um, so I think that's one of the, that's, that's what this group is hoping to use this tool for, to kind of put numbers to that message that they've been trying to communicate for decades and um, which they know is true. Um, I think the, the policy side is really interesting also, um, not even just about existing buildings, but looking at embodied carbon policy in general, policymakers are struggling to understand how to um, regulate or legislate to reduce our carbon emissions. And it's pretty easy to put operational carbon emission uh, limit reduction targets into play because everyone knows what their energy bill says. And it's easy to say, reduce your energy bill. And we kind of know how to do that. But it's not as easy to, to measure or cap embodied carbon. Um, and so I think creating a tool that, as Larry said early on, before you know what your design is in a way that's not expensive to a team, to a developer, that's not expensive to the city to review, that can provide that snapshot um, is, is a really good opportunity and something that there's a lot of need for. I think that this could be a tool that was used by city planning departments or cities to set their carbon climate action goals and things like that. But it's also, I think, um, uh, portfolio managers of large uh, of properties, lots of properties. This is a great tool for that potentially. It's not just saying it's, a, it, it's set up as a building by building, but if you know you have 10 buildings of a similar kind, you can say we have 300,000 square feet of this building type and, and get these big, that's what originally was thought of for like UC, UC Berkeley and the UC system is that they have these massive portfolios of buildings. And, uh, and it, and so giving them a tool to, to be able to evaluate, does it make sense to remodel half of them? Maybe some of them make sense to tear down. I mean, it, some, the pool, tool doesn't always show that it's better to save. Sometimes if you have to do a huge structural upgrade to an existing building, that's a lot of carbon. So then maybe it's better to build a new building. So it doesn't, it's not just automatically that the existing building option is the best. This one actually quantifies it. So I think we're seeing lots of, and then uh, yesterday we talked to a potential, someone who's really interested in this, who's a glo big global lender in the real estate market. And they mostly lend on existing buildings. So they want to give another reason to renovate and reuse existing buildings. And they have a $700 billion portfolio that's global. And so that's another potential type of user that could use this tool to say, hey, there's a real opportunity here to save a lot of carbon. So that just makes me think about everything that's going on in the world today and the news that the new cycles of uh, interest in climate action and the activities most recently over the last couple of weeks with all of the, uh, the large oil companies that there has been there's such advocacy uh, rising up levels of the hierarchy. So I wonder if you're seeing any of of that, uh, having Lori, to your point of it's taking so long, or it's you know, um, is there is there a greater appetite? Do you believe today than there has been in the last five years? Say, I'm seeing this pick up really rapidly, and particular dis particularly discussions around embodied carbon are just it's it's really accelerating tremendously in the past two years. I would say, um, yeah, I do think you know the political pressures are are mounting and. Um, uh, I think there's a lot of action towards the, the COP26, the Conference of the Parties, which is the UN's large environmental gathering this fall. I think many you know, different industries are all mobilizing towards that goal. So I, yeah, I, I do think we're seeing a lot of good momentum here. Larry, I don't know what you think. I, I, I do think that's true. I think that um, it wasn't until 2030, the, re the Architecture 2030, which Ed Masvia founded, the reason it was so 
revolutionary was he, 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 you can look at the carbon pie chart and it looks like it's mostly transportation and it's mostly the oil industry that's doing it all. But you have to look at where the oil is used. The buildings use the, use the fuel and the cars use the fuel. So it's, it doesn't just, you can't look, you've got to look at the end user of these fuels. And it turned out that the, the built environment was about 40% of global emissions. And, and for a long time, we just focused on the 28% that was operational. And then people said, hey, there's 11% or so that's also embodied carbon from building materials and like that. And, and so there's a big shift now looking at embodied carbon, which is great. But, but we're sort of saying it's the, it's the total carbon we need to look at. We need to look at how these intersect and how operational efficiency impacts embodied carbon. And we need to have a tool that can do that quickly. And so that's what this was really designed to do and really to sort of say, reusing a building isn't just about saving embodied carbon from not building a new building. It's about making that existing building more efficient or maybe even making it net zero. So that's what, that's what we hope this tool can kind of inspire and give people um, a, a numbers justification for why they're doing it. I, I also think that one thing that's happening right now that is, is aligned here is the, are all the co-benefits that when you're looking at climate action, it's not just about carbon. It's not about one thing. And building reuse comes with so many co-benefits like bolstering local economy and local skilled labor and, um, you know, supporting social equity and preservation of, of local culture. And there's so many other reasons to save buildings right now that I think are, are getting a lot of attention, you know, locally and globally. So I think this really kind of dovetails into a lot of other movements. Yeah. Uh, well, we I think we would all completely agree with you, at least all of us sitting here on this call. But I will also ask the question about, uh, there's a timeline for enhancing the tool that you have, you're working with right now. And, are there data gaps that need to be uh, that need to be filled? I mean, like, what's what are your next steps? Well, there's a couple of things. Um, we what we what we've done is we've we've looked at lots of different carbon studies, and we sort of put in our best estimates on all these different uh, carbon in carbon uh, impacts for different um, remodeling scenarios, different new buildings. They're, they're still just estimates. And so we're, we're collecting data from firms that are doing whole building life cycle assessment. And we're trying to go back continually and see if we, we need to refine the numbers. And that's fine. We think the numbers are good enough right now. So that, rep, that refining of the numbers will continue to go on. But the other piece is we're trying to make the tool uh, easier to use, more powerful, but not get it too complicated so it becomes a design tool because that's not the intention of it. So We've done another couple of, actually a couple of iterations of the tools since we turned in for the Wonder Grant to actually make it more usable and people can see exactly what, what this um, selection means, what was in that assumption. Um, so I think we're doing that. And then the final thing is it's right now, it's an Excel-based tool that, that Aaron McDade developed. We wanna turn it into a web-based app so that anybody can access it and use it. Um, and so that's, that's what we're doing right now is looking for both continuing to find the numbers, but also trying to find funders and sponsors that will develop it into a web-based uh, tool that's then just open source. Anyone can use it. I think that's fantastic. What, what, give us a ballpark. I mean, if, if people are listening to this and they might be interested, what, what exactly are you looking for? <laughs> Well, we've talked to uh, one group of web designers, the people that actually worked on the, um, the zero tool for Architecture 2030, 
And after a one-hour conversation and showing them the tool, they threw out a ballpark of $35,000 to turn this into a web-based tool. Now, that's turning the, the tool we have right now just into a web-based tool. There's further refinements we want to make, so that, that could add cost. One of the things we'd like to do that I think is really important and this uh, is turn it into a tool that translates into, the, into UK and EU, so it's not just a North American tool. So the numbers and the, the terminology have to work for um, wherever you are in the world. So you may have to change, you know, drywall might not be called drywall in Europe, it might be called something else, plasterboard or whatever. So you have, to, you have to adjust things. We might have a North American. So those are all things that I think are really important to do. But, um, and we're sort of taking it one step at a time. We're trying to finish the current model we have, which is North American based, and then expand it. Okay, yeah, you have a gigantic uh, energy effort that has already been um, committed to this project and you I, clearly you have a, you have more to do um, what what other things might you want our audience to know about this project I'm going to start with Lori I don't know I think we're really just excited to to get people using the tool and um, yeah I oh. think we're you know we're looking for for feedback but I think it, I, I want people to know that if you're doing whole building life cycle assessment of existing buildings, we want your data and that's, you're doing great work and there aren't that many people working on this. So, um, you know, I'll put out a call for that and, you know, invitation to, to collaborate with us in that way. Um, and for feedback about ideas of how to use this tool. I think one of the most helpful types of feedback we've gotten are from people who want to use it, like the Minnesota State Historic Preservation Office, who wants to use it to quantify the carbon, the carbon benefits of their tax credit program. Like that's a very discreet way in which you know, we hear the tool wants to be used and that helps us think about how to develop it. So ideas about how this could be impactful for advocacy or policy or decision-making about your own buildings or your own designs is really helpful. And I'll add that I think that's totally right. And I, the, because of who we are and our backgrounds, we, we sort of, our advisory group and the people we reach out to tend to be engineers, architects, and um, kind of climate focused scientists. We haven't reached out because we don't have as many contacts in the real estate uh, realm or the, the developer realm or the uh, large um, portfolio ma asset manager people. And so we need to get that kind of voice uh, having input into how the tool. So we were excited to talk to this, this global um, asset manager in real estate the other day because they're, they're really interested in this, which would be great to have that kind of um, that's a that's a major impact when you're looking at that kind of that kind of um, amount of assets that you could potentially impact uh, by this tool. The other thing is I'm I'm just trying we're trying to figure out how to make like how to make this tool known, how to make it uh, clear that this is something you can use right now to to tell whether uh, you should be building a new building or not. I mean that's a it's partly. Uh, still, unfortunately, partly convincing people of the story that the existing buildings really are, are important. They're really the key to the whole thing. We can't get to carbon neutral built environment by building more new buildings. We, we're going to keep building new buildings and we have to do a better job at it. But we've got to take all the buildings we already have and make them uh, way better or perfect. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, that's a that's an um, aspirational goal that I think we can you know toss out to the, the entire listening audience. What I will say though is um, our Wonder Grant intention is to share that kind of information. And some of what I'm hearing here, in if our audience is listening, if there's any strong marketing groups that are in, that have a passion for sustainability, one of the things that I will also comment on about our fairly large client base across Northern California and the state of Washington, um, the, the topic of sustainability in, its, in every element is ratcheting up. Lori, you said two years. I would say yes, over the last two to five years, um, it, from an interior standpoint, because that's really more our, um, our bailiwick, our, our uh, swim lane, but, but it is to, at the highest level of conversation. So if we can communicate that. And, and frankly, that's one of our intentions with the Wonder Grant to help do that. So whatever we can do, we will. Whatever our audience can do, we will. Whatever connections we can make, uh, we certainly will to promote the enhanced use and development of the carbon calculator tool. So I want to say thank you very much, Larry and Lori, for joining us today. The uh, podcast will be available on all your streaming systems. Uh, streaming services, and we will look forward to talking to you again in the near future. 